folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except we're extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Channel Massive, you have two people on this episode. It's kind of a come down, a little bit of a, a breather after last week's massive episode. That was massive action-packed podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Mark actually listened to it and reminded himself why he stopped listening to it. Yes, no. That's, <laughs> with that out of the way, I can go another 200 before I try that again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was really enjoyable, and I liked listening to it. It was cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to record that show. It was so great to have all those guys on the show. And yeah. Like we mentioned, the people that couldn't make it will definitely have on in the future, and we'll certainly have probably all those people on again, too, individually. Probably not all at once. Yeah, I would say so. It was good. I was impressed by everybody's ability to self-manage. And like, yeah not talk on top of each other and get through all those topics. And... Well, I turned my back on Jason. <laughs> Physically, because you were in the same room, right? <laughs> yeah, he found it really rather disconcerting, and he couldn't stop talking about it before we started, just how it was wigging him out. But I was like, well, if we're facing each other, it's, it's possible that the delay from Skype will, you know, it will come through. So to really? me, it was I actually did that. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> that is so crazy to visualize. Okay. Listeners, you have to understand that usually when we record the show, we do it around a card table or two card tables put together. So we're really close together, which yeah. is why I've had issues with mics in the past. And Mark was really nice to accept my maniacal demands of I don't want echoing going on if there will be no echoing going to be in the same room because Jason talks so freaking loud right (laughs) and Mark didn't respond I'm sure he said something rude about me (laughs) under his breath when he read the email but it's cool to hear that you actually did do something because I was like wow they sound really good I wonder how they're doing it that's why I turned so I just basically like zoned him out turned my back to him and made sure my my giant my gigantic box-like head blocked the microphone from his his speech. You know, the sound is coming out of him, and uh, it worked pretty well. What was remarkable was near the end of the episode, he managed to actually sound like he was getting away from his microphone and he was wearing a headset. Yeah. I don't know how he did that. You don't either because you weren't facing him. I would not know what happened. I don't know. All I know is when I turned around, when it was all over, I turned around and he was gone. And there were like four empty beer cans arrayed in almost a perfect like square <laughs> shape on the table. And he was done. And he left his microphone behind. So I don't know if it was like a rapper battle where he just like won and <laughs> dropped the mic and then left. I don't know what happened, but oh it, was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, great episode, and I hope that everybody liked it. It sounds like some people did. We are going to have a regular old show this week, though, including Intro Geddon. We've got some listener feedback. 
We have what we're playing. We've got some general geekery, and we have roundtables. So we have a hearty little show to get through. Lots of really cool stuff going on. We, Mark and I, had have been having some crappy work experiences this week, and so we put the show notes together at the last minute <laughs> this time. Yeah. But what was re- really cool to do so and doing in so doing was that there was a lot of stuff to pick from, and E3 hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. It went pretty well, I think. Well, this the the truth will <laughs> the proof will be in the pudding, as they say. But, uh, I think it, yeah. I think it'll come together. I think it will uh, congeal, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and who knows hey. what we'll have to talk about next week? I don't know. We can talk about in the conclusion, but with E3 happening next week, I'm sure there's going to be lots. Yeah, I'll mostly be bitching about it, probably like, why couldn't we go? Why are they so late? What, what's it think? <laughs> <laughs> so for the intro get in we have three sections we have the legal and finance section we also have the announcement section and last but not least we have the curiosity section but let's take care of the fine print stuff first <laughs> you know the the sections that we have kind of make me think of the wall street journal and westward colliding somehow all we need <laughs> is like a like a 420 section and a you know illegal massages area and it'll be perfect <laughs> We'll have to rely on our listeners to provide the illegal massages and 420. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Westward is a magazine that we get in Colorado. I don't know if it's national or not. I don't know. I don't think, I think so. It but was. there's it's it, it used to be independent. Now it's part of a chain, but it's it's like the local independent newspaper weekly. Yeah, and it, it has like stuff about concerts and where you can buy drugs and more <laughs> concerts and where where the strip clubs are and more more you know some some like Ask Avato and then like where <laughs> where the best massage parlors are and it's just really kind of a funny thing and it's everywhere. But anyway. Listeners, you can tell which part of the Westford Mark focuses on the most. The concerts (laughs) and the the other parts, too. (laughs) Ooh, I haven't tried this one yet. (laughs) That's number 64 to notch in my belt. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Not so happy ending there. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Simply happy. Can I say? (laughs) Oh my gosh! (laughs) I'm glad you're here, Mark, because I wouldn't be able to say stuff like that (laughs) with a straight face, at least. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Part of the fun. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Put the Westward down. (laughs) I will be happy to right after I finish. <laughs> oh, see, listeners, this is how we're embarking on our next bicentennial. Yeah, this will tie in nicely with one of our roundtable topics. <laughs> <laughs> it actually does. It really does. We have true synergy tonight. Yes, right. We're leveraging much synergy. Yes. <laughs> okay. So. Bring it back down, bringing it on down. Start at the side. <laughs> section. So last week and the weeks before, we talked about Kurt Schilling's 38 Studios and Big Huge Games, creators of the Kingdoms of Amalur and Project Copernicus, which was presumably another Amalur-based MMO. We were talking about, wow, they might be shutting down tomorrow. Well, lo and behold, that actually did happen as a follow-up. Uh, previous so conversation. Sad. 
all staff was laid off, the offices were closed. But even now, there are, there are investigators descending upon the offices. Even today, there's a story about that. So unfortunately, this is just going to be really drawn out. And Mr. Schilling, of course, has had not – he finally broke a silence and had some emotional things to say about it, which is completely understandable. And it's really too bad because, as I mentioned before, when I played the Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning demo, which I'm glad I did because – I actually am going to get to play Mass Effect 3 at the rate that I'm going. And I got a bonus in that game for playing Kingdoms of Amalur's demo. But I, I did like it. I thought it was fun, probably because I played World of Warcraft in the past and many other MMOs and am used to the mechanic. And I thought there could be potential. Never committed. And, oh, well, it was all never to be, even though a sequel to Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, perhaps the re-reckoning, it was in pre-production. But all of that has gone up in smoke, unfortunately. Yeah, that is so sad. Yeah. I mean, I was reading what he said about the game failed. The game failed. That was an integral part of the success of the company. And they expected, well, their experts or analysts told them they'd need to sell 3 million copies to break even. Wow. And they sold 1.2 in the first 90 days, but it wasn't, you know, enough. And it's just, you know, it's just too bad. Yeah, and 1.2 million, that's a good amount of sales well yeah that's a i mean and you know i played the i played the demo i didn't buy it um so i'm a, i'm guilty of helping them fail but i meant to get around to it it was one of those kind of things yeah, it was it was definitely the, on my the price yeah price. it was on my list and and you know i guess that's an interesting point what happens if you buy it now or can you would you <laughs> where does the money go uh, the publisher, I'm assuming. I guess so, huh? The publisher just goes, yes, yes. Rake it in. Raking it in. Fuck Rhode Island. They'll never see a penny of this. <laughs> it's ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it went. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sure it was, um, you know, uh, Mr. Burns and, and Smithers talking around a table, but still. <laughs> it is quite sad. Really bums me out. That said, there are a couple other legal stories coming to a close this week that potentially could have dragged out very long and in a very public and media blitz way, especially Activision's lawsuit with the Infinity Ward co-founders who that Frank it was Frank or Jason West and Vincent Sampella, who, as you know, they got fired and they sued Activision and Activision sued them and then some 40-odd people, employees of Infinity Ward, quit. And West and Zampella started making their own little company that's under the wing of Electronic Arts. And so it's ugly, ugly, ugly. And then yeah. we have like dark, gossipy stuff that freaking Activision CEO Bob, Bobby Kotick was having the IT director break into these guys' emails to confirm suspicions and spy on them. And uh, had, and all the emails between Activision leadership regarding Weston's Zampella, they were unsealed and showed how they were talking about how, man, I could just kick them to the curb if I could. I'm paraphrasing, but <laughs> we're not going to get any more juicy gossip because everything has been miraculously settled outside of court. The day that the trials were supposed to start, there was actually a delay of the trial saying, hey, we're going into mediation and some kind of agreement for Mr. West. Mr. Zampella and those 42 or 40-odd uh, developers has been reached. 
Apparently somebody was peep, peeping Tom through the window because they claim on GamePolitics.com that Weston Zampella could be seen smiling visibly in the court. Huh. <laughs> ah. Thanks to the tricks I learned from Rupert Murdoch, I was able to read all the email. <laughs> yeah, I I was really interested to see how this is going to play out. But I'm sure it wouldn't have been in Activision's interest to have it play out via court because they would have just gotten even more negative press than they've already gotten with them. <clears throat> yeah. Wow, so that's amazing. Our, our attention to some other muckraking activities. And also concluding, as I mentioned before, there is another case wrapping up, and that it was Silicon Knights versus Epic. Silicon Knights developed Eternal Darkness, which was a really highly praised psychological horror game for GameCube. And then they went on to develop uh, a remake of Metal Gear Solid for GameCube, which was really well received. And then they're like, all right, we're going to go multi-platform, and we're going to make games for Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. And they made Two Human, which was supposed to be the first of a mashup Viking mythology and sci-fi storyline trilogy. But the game came out, it kind of flopped, and Silicon Knights sued Epic for claiming that Epic, who provided the game's engine, Unreal Engine 3, did not provide adequate customer support to Silicon Knights. Instead, choosing to focus on developing their own Gears of War game and ignoring the customer service requests, technical support requests from Silicon Knights. And because of that, Silicon Knights lost a lot of money making Too Human. That's why the game was late. That's why the game didn't come out and turn out as great. Well, unfortunately. Oh, I was going to use the, that's why the game sucked, but yeah. that <laughs> seemed a little harsh. So I didn't actually say it. I just thought about it, just for the record. <laughs> Except. You did say it. <laughs> but I thought yeah. I said I was thinking it, but I didn't necessarily say it. It's not a statement on, on the record. It's off the rec it's off the books. Yeah, so <laughs> a small suit and then there was a countersuit saying that Epic Epic countersuits Silicon Knights saying that Silicon Knights breached its contract and tried to steal tech Yeah. So on and so forth. And well after two or three years of this going on all uh, epic won the whole thing. Everything. Well, you know, we we've we've covered this story kind of here and there over the years, and I I remember making the statement that, and well, it's amazing how everyone else seems to be able to use the Unreal Engine except for these bozos, uh huh, without you know preferential treatment and hand holding. So you know, I, I mean, it's. It's even been ported to other platforms. It's just, it's just such a ridiculous claim. It's really good to see justice go, kind of the right way for for this one. And pretty painfully too against yeah uh, Silicon Knights. They owe Epic Games at least four point four five million dollars in damages, and there could be even more owed if Epic's like, you know what, you're going to pay for our legal fees too. Which I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they've well, got why a not slam dunk victory. <laughs> I would. And Dennis Dyack, who used to be quite outspoken in the press about all sorts of things, he's the founder of Silicon Knights. He said that the company plans to appeal the decision, but not sure this is going to go anywhere for Silicon Knights. And I, to, to Silicon Knights' credit, they used to be a, a really cherished developer for me and many Nintendo fanboys because they did such phenomenal stuff on 
GameCube, and they're also the people that were behind the original Legacy of Kane vampire oh, right. adventure games. So they, they're a really good developer. They're really intelligent folks, great story writers, even though Too Human apparently sucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'd hate for them to be shut down because of this, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's a lot of money to owe. Right. Especially when you haven't come out with a game since 2008, and that game was a flop. So we shall see. Yeah. How unfortunate for them. Well, maybe it'll turn around. You, sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you can, you know, come come back out swinging. You're such an optimist. I, I know. I think I mixed some metaphors there. I don't know. <laughs> now for the announcement section. First up, Mark was quite excited about the upcoming Skyrim update. Yes. So they've announced an official uh, add-on for Skyrim. Uh, you know, serious DLC at a $20 price point, which equates to four gazillion uh, Xbox Live points, or <laughs> 1600 I think it is. It, wait, how much is it? It's $20. $20. But it's supposed to be significant, and it's about a kind of a vampire versus Templar type struggle, or, you know, kind of like a, you yes. know, an, uh, like an, a holy order Versus this, like, they're kind of like demonic. They look like a variant on vampires. They they are kind of strange looking. Do they sparkle? Uh, they don't sparkle, and that's unfortunate, of course. That is um, You know, they, don't, they can't go out in the daylight. Um, but they look like they can levitate at least, maybe fly. Kind of doubt they can fly. That would be a real... <laughs> that would probably invalidate a whole bunch of maps in the game. But um, in any case, it looks pretty cool. Um, in, in the way the these Bethesda games typically works is there's a chance there's always been like vampirism and lycanthropy in the previous titles, um, so you probably can become a vampire and, and and participate it in the game. You know, from that point of view, or you can choose to join the Dawn Guard, which is this uh, you know order that defeats or you know strives to battle the vampires and and take them on that way. Um, and it's it looks like too that there's this is going to come on the heels of a, a one the upgrade 1.6 which will allow mounted combat which has been teased at in some screenshots and movie clips but now it looks like they'll you've always been able to ride a horse you just couldn't fight from its back but now it looks like you can do mounted combat which should be kind of interesting that's cool so Skyrim continues to you know just be an amazing immersive experience and uh, I think this this will be really you know, a good step for it. Hopefully they'll, you know, continue with mega DLC like this, not just little things, but, you know, I mean, if it costs so successful and so huge, yeah, it, uh, it's real, relatively defensible, but I think of a lot of other games that have DLC, they usually, I remember thinking that call of duties map packs, Uh the modern warfare ones, they're 15 bucks a piece for four maps usually maybe a couple extra things and they're just like that's outrageous because i'm used to dlc being seven to ten bucks tops and ten bucks is steep yeah well you know i think i think they kind of hit upon a magic formula with um oh uh fallout 3 with the dlc and the price point for that and i i'm hoping what they're doing is providing in this you know add-on or expansion kind of maybe it's more like an expansion and maybe it's double the size of it you know what you would have bought for ten dollars yeah so it's pretty comprehensive it's not just you know one 
a couple of new areas, but like something really comprehensive. I, I think that's what they're striving for. I think they saw the light with what they could do um, to, you know, extend Fallout 3 and have decided to, and, and New Vegas after it and have decided to kind of, you know, take that and run. So we'll see what Are happens. Are the Fallout expansions that expensive? Uh, I think they were like five to ten. I don't know. I didn't, you know, I I only played the first one for a little bit, and I never bought the expansions. But uh, nice. I remember the community, um, you know, loved the expansions, saw tons of value in them, found them, you know, enthralling, and you know, our own Jason would say they were they were good. So yeah, I remember. Marie and Eric too. Fun. Yeah. So um hopefully it's you know like a mega version of that and well worth the money because if it is and if they were able to crank it out i think relatively fast and it has you know it's not you know shabbily put together storylines and it's if it's actually got a lot of you know value i think they're really on a great course to keep keeping it you know keeping skyrim relevant for a long time and a cash cow as well so we'll see that's great. I'm sure fans of that game are really excited. Although there's so many people who have put dozens of hours into that game and they're like, all right, I still haven't finished it, but I'm just going to stop because I can't play anymore. I wonder yeah. if those people, how they feel about like, oh, well, how about adding some extra hours on top of that 100 hour right. <laughs> chunk of time? Right. They're like, I've already... I've already divorced my family, but now I have to battle this, these damn vampires. <laughs> I have to. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It should be good, though. Continuing that, on the end. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that's the high note of our announcement section. And now? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's at least, there are at least two more high notes. I, think. I know, but I think we're going to hit the low now. Uh, yeah. So in the past, there has been Marvel versus EA and Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. Well, there wasn't enough of that, apparently, because now we're getting another DC fighter where heroes and villains from the DC Universe will battle each other once again from the Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe team. I believe... What's it called? It's Injustice, Gods Among Us, <laughs> which is really weird. It almost rhymes. Yeah. Gods Among Us. I've got a fungus. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the fourth lyric for that or phrase for that. I don't know. But if I did, it'd be cool. Maybe you could creatively edit this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could. <laughs> <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Let's not get our hopes up, Mark. <laughs> so some highlights about this game. Okay. Some highlights about this game are that it's not due until 2013. So there's oh, still thank God. Well, that's quite a way. Yeah, you can build your anticipation up over the coming months, Mark. The world may well end in December of 2012, so I won't have to be you know, <laughs> face this thing in 2013. And it's funny that you say this because when I my first reaction when I saw this is was why and yeah. the second reaction was Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe I remember being pretty mediocre it wasn't as bad as Marvel versus EA but it, yeah. in, on metacritic it has a 73 or 72 I think mm. which is actually not awful it's not great it's not good enough in my mind to justify making another one but they're going to do it anyways there will be at least as many characters as in the previous Mortal Kombat game, which had 
28. So not the previous Mortal Kombat DC game, but the previous traditional Mortal Kombat game. So there could be at least 28, which could be cool. Yeah. I don't know. They'll have to dig pretty deep to get that many. And much like Dead or Alive, there are destructible multi-room arenas. You can throw people through walls and fall down into new areas. And over-the-top power moves like Superman punching somebody up into outer space, and then he follows them up into outer space in their orbit and then punches them back down. Uh, Durr, uh, we call those fatalities. <laughs> but yeah, there are no fatalities. There's no spines being ripped out because this is no. just DC in this game, yeah. even though it's being made by Mortal Kombat people. So I don't mean to be a total downer negative guy, but I found the I found the trailer to be really uninspired. So I don't know if that was the best they could come up with to promote this steaming pile of shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm really just a little bit kind of skeptical. <laughs> but are you skeptical about a new RPG coming from CD Projekt Red that is not Witcher? No, I am not skeptical at all because they have a nice they have a fine track record with with the exception of the combat in The Witcher 1. Um <laughs> fortunately for them the story and the or the you know the plot and everything in The Witcher 1 and everything else was so good it made up for that, but and they fixed a lot of that in Witcher 2. But no, I think this looks cool, especially to base it on a pen and paper um, you know, game like a cyberpunk RPG. Um, and to uh, and to use such words to describe it as mature and brutal. <laughs> yeah, so it's the we have only a really high level understanding of this game announcement because it's apparently a ways off. But there is an actual RPG, pen and paper RPG system called Cyberpunk. Right. Which Mark and I didn't realize we I, when I think of Cyberpunk, I think of it as an adjective or a genre. Right. That is an actual title. And it and Mark, you found out that it predates Shadowrun. Yeah, by a year. So it came out in like eighty eight, I think, and Shadowrun came out in eighty nine. And uh, there's already a, a cool Shadowrun project being started up thanks to Kickstarter. Who knows how that's gonna end up, but between that and this new Witcher Cyberpunk RPG, Cyberpunk with a capital C. C it's gonna be really cool. It it's it's I, I've always found cyberpunk stuff to be rather alluring and appealing. And games that feature that have kind of been on the back burner for a while, and at least until Deus Ex, yeah. uh, the new Deus Ex game came out last year. It's like, eh. But there's this going on, and Ridley Scott is looking into making a new Blade Runner movie. Oh, I know. But, you know, those are the exceptions to the rule. I mean, in general... um you know the the genre when translated to PC gaming or our consoles doesn't ever seem to really resonate with the, the audience. Meanwhile, movies like The Matrix, which you know are kind of like are basically cyberpunk based, just you know took off and were huge. So um, I I don't know why it's so I don't know why it has trouble um, you know being translated into this medium, but hopefully. Hopefully they'll be able to pull it off. I think, I think the the way these guys treated the RPG when they came up with The Witcher and The Witcher Two, I, I think that gives them a lot of credibility in being able to pull something like this off. Mm-hmm. But we will see. 
we have a couple more announcements to get through in the announcement section. This kind of came out of nowhere. Like left field, right? Like what? <laughs> yeah. So the developer of the Fear Games, Monolith, has decided their next game is going to be an Xbox Live slash PSN downloadable game set in Middle Earth. It is a Lord of the Rings MOBA game. Much like what? Dota 2 or League of Legends. <laughs> so imagine this. You're, you're headed down your corridor. You're, you're prepared to guard your towers or whatever the hell they call them in this version. <laughs> Maybe they're just piles of dung. I don't know. But you have to guard them and keep them from being destroyed. And there he is. Yep. It's a hobbit on a pie, pie mission. Maybe a... <laughs> What were they called? What were they called? The Hungry Hobbitses? From, uh... <laughs> Hungry Hobbitses and the Nosy Hobbits. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Like maybe, you know, you might have to you might have to face like uh Oh, I don't know. Frodo. Imagine the horror. <laughs> yeah, I I I'm definitely intrigued and I know that for sure I'm going to download the demo. Me because too. it's it's kind of a combination of two things that I really like. I'm not sure if I'm going to like them together. But Lord of the Rings, well, I think, is really cool. I like MOBA games. Maybe it'll work. And I was using really bad examples. But some of the Guardians, which are basically their words for champions or heroes yeah. or characters, include Sauron or the uh, the leader of the... Oh, God, I can't think of the... God, my, my Lord of the Rings trivia is falling out. But, you know, like Sauron, Aragorn... All kinds of cool people. Legolas. Just for Jason, Legolas will be included. So. <laughs> Legolas. <laughs> Legolas. <laughs> yeah, and his sister, Legolas. That <laughs> 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 yes. sounds pretty interesting. It's funny. I Do you think this speaks to the uh, kind of... Um, you know, like market penetration of, of Riot Games with League of Legends and then, you know, seeing um, seeing Valve take note with Dota 2? Or do you think they just that this is just a genre that needed to happen <laughs> in, in this format? I, 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 don't, I don't think it was predestination. I don't <laughs> think it was cash motivated yeah I do <laughs> but i like too. that it's it's not a full retail release if this kind of mashup is going to happen it makes sense to do it as a downloadable game i really like that idea i wonder if that means there's going to be a, a right model where you can purchase additional stuff yeah. additional guardians or additional venues I'm, I'm curious to see how many different maps they're going to be because apparently there's more than one which is a little atypical for mo but they all seem to follow the same map structure so yeah. We'll see where that goes, and maybe we'll all end up playing each other. It's maybe it's I, it's it's interesting too that it's for a console and not yeah, a not on PC. So that's going to be a whole different way of of thinking, I think, for us with a controller, not a mouse. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going to be really different. But I plan to I plan to download it too. Something else I think you should plan to get. <laughs> Even I am planning to get this, even though it's a little ridiculous, is the newest Humble Indie Bundle 5 has been oh, announced. Yeah. And it has some really serious blockbuster games. Wow, look at that. Yeah. Amnesia Dark Descent, which apparently is one of the scariest games ever, and Psychonauts, which is a really hugely celebrated Xbox 360 classic, or I'm sorry, Xbox, original Xbox classic. Limbo, which is a, another downloadable game 
classic, a recent one that was really well done, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. So those four games are included uh, for whatever you want to donate. And if you donate more than the average dollar amount, then you also get Bastion, which is another fantastic, fantastic downloadable game that's been previously released on Xbox 360. You get all those games and their soundtracks. Oh, that's cool. And the thing is, is I think I own all of these games except for Sword and Sorcery on one platform or another, but I don't have the soundtracks. And this is just a really freaking awesome deal. And I don't have any of these games on, except for Amnesia, on my PC. So Yeah, I have a few of them. I think it but I'll be buying it as well. Yeah, so definitely recommend it to go run out and check it out at HumbleBundle.com. Currently, what is the average price? Let's see. Huh. It looks like it's about 14 bucks. Not bad. A lot of good yeah. stuff there. Yeah. And you can gift it to people, too, in case they've not been exposed. I know Eric, um, I think, gifted me a Humble Bundle at one point. Oh, yeah. It's, it's I didn't even... Gift. I had no idea what it was, and I was like, what's this Humble Bundle thing? And I was like, oh, my gosh, these are really cool games. So it's a kind of a cool way to, you know, let people know about what's going on with indie games and that there's definite quality there. Yeah, I agree. That concludes our announcement section of Introgeddon, and now for the final section of Introgeddon, the Curiosity section. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> the exotic massage section. <laughs> Audio style. Yeah, oh, boy. <laughs> that would be an, I, I'm not a Foley artist, so I don't know if I can pull off that sound effect, but uh, why don't we just go ahead and <laughs> go with the stories we have instead. Probably <laughs> better that way. So hot on the heels of the announcement that the former is it is it the Naughty Dog? I think it was the former head of Naughty Dog is now the CEO of THQ, which has been really struggling in recent months and just kind of slashing its uh outlook and also its release calendar. Well, there's a little bit of other news from a VP that just recently departed from the company this week who decided to go on the record talking about how used games, what he thinks of used games. And he basically called them as probably good for consumers, but not so great for publishers. But he believes there's an answer to this whole used games challenge that goes outside of the concept of let's just block it all together and the new consoles. He said, this is something I'm talking seriously about now with the studios. And this was, of course, an interview that occurred before he left THQ this week. He said, extended content shouldn't be an afterthought. It shouldn't be, it, it shouldn't in any way feel to the consumer that we took stuff out of the game to sell it to them later. We can't do that at all. But if we give them an IP or a game that they love, we could give them more of it over time if they chose to buy it. And that will keep them from wanting to sell it back to move on to something else. So basically he says, make a game that people cherish and love so much and want to return to again and again or want to wait for DLC for that they don't want to sell it back. Uh, clearly, he's been listening to us. <laughs> clearly. We've only been saying that for, like, what, two years now? I mean, yeah. It seems obvious. Don't try to don't try to extort your, your, your uh, customers or threaten them 
just provide something that is has so much you know intrinsic value that there's no other way that they could think about it you know that, yeah. i don't know that's that's my thought it's like it's so obvious just make it good and get and keep giving them things after it's launched that just keeps them coming back to the trough you know and not only will your team stay sharp and you'll be able to keep your team together because you're you know making reoccurring revenue but you'll be able to um make the model work and it thwarts piracy it's all such a good thing but yeah you know well i guess we'll see what happens yeah that was VP, the former executive vice president of Core Games, Danny Bilson, and we'll see where with Eurogamer. We'll see where Danny ends up. Yeah, his, his quote unquote other interests. Yeah. Next up, we've talked many times in the past about next generation consoles. How should they work? When do we think they'll come out? And there have been a lot of rumors that have been swirling around on it. Well, there is a new log to throw into the rumor pile courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. So I guess All we should places. take it a little bit more seriously than some other crap that's been flying around, especially during this time of year when E3 is around the corner. There's people making all sorts of rampant speculations and rumors that prove to be inaccurate. But apparently, PlayStation 4, the next truly, truly super powerful next-gen console, is due next year. Which is surprising because... Sony and Microsoft have both gone on record saying they don't have plans to talk or show anything about a new console at this year's E3. But you'd think they'd want to have at least a year in advance kind of hype building for it. So maybe they're going to just have a really small window and talk about it next year. Or maybe they will actually say something this year. I don't know. Yeah. And apparently this device was almost going to be digital only. But... Instead, it will be disc-based because there's still just not enough penetration, to quote Bob, <laughs> only Bob of high-speed internet around the world to really support a downloadable games model. And Sony's toyed with that before. They re-released their PSP once in a version called the PSP Go, and it had no disc insertion area. Everything had to be purely downloaded, and it flopped. Funny that they would consider that for the console after had their raged, raging success with the PSP. Yeah. We'll see if that comes to be true. Would you, Mark, would, would you even, do you think you'll ever be in the market for another video game console? I mean, besides like whatever Xbox does? like. Uh, or... I mean, just in general. I mean, do you think that you're going to keep it there? Do you think that? You're going to like, yeah, I don't play as much on this. Maybe I'm just going to go back to being pure PC. No, I'll always have a console, especially as the kids get older. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Which we'll talk about that later, too. But, um, um, you know, it, it's it's very handy to have these consoles. And as they start to kind of get it when they have the, um, you know, ways to do streaming video better and ways to stream, you know, both local and uh you know, like Netflix content and it turns into more of a media center, you know, it's always something that'll be part of like the old upgrade path around the house, you know? So, um, and I wouldn't put it past myself to, um, God, I'm using um a lot. Uh, I, I would, I wouldn't put it past myself to try to have some diversity there between probably PlayStation and uh, Xbox as the, as the two compete, 
uh, and come up with you know subsequent generations of their their uh, consoles. I, I think I'm kind of not so hip on the Nintendo consoles right now. Although the you know the like um, portable guys are still cool, but yeah. as far as the Wii and its successor goes, which I have a Wii, uh, but I, I don't think that's something that I'll probably be keeping up with. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that next week's E3 press conferences for Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo are particularly sensitive for Nintendo because for many people, it's the make-or-break conference. This is when so much of Wii U's final details are going to be revealed, launch games, and there's just a lot of uncertainty, at least in the games press, about whether we should be excited about it or not. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of other gamers that are kind of hesitant about it. I went into a GameStop today, which had, had been a while, and they're certainly not identical from one to the next, but this was one that was in a mall and didn't have a lot of floor space. Uh-huh. And this was the first time I've been into a GameStop where all the Wii games and the DS games had been removed from the walls, the primarily primary marketing area. There was only Xbox 360 games on the left side, and there was PS3 games on the right side. And all the Wii games had been shoved into a little tiny bookshelf display in the middle of the floor. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so telling. That's always the sign of like, yep, we're phasing this out. No longer relevant. But uh, I was I, I was curious to see if you were going to consider PS4 or not. They, going along on the your th- comments about, well, if, if with it being a media center, apparently there's a rumor running around right now that Sony has bought out on live or Gaikai and we'll oh. announce it next week as a way to support a more robust streaming strategy, both of games and of video. But that's pure rumor, but that could, I don't know, maybe that would tip your interest towards that versus the next Xbox. Who knows when we'll get all that clarified for Xbox, but Sony, we may have a real clear window, clear picture next week. Wow. That's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of turns out. I thought the story that you found about a new way to apply for jobs was really cool. Oh, yeah. So it's in The Economist, and it's um, it's this wacky article about the gamma. It's called The Gamification of Hiring, which I just – we really need um, uh, that Jason guy here to say that because of his – pussification of America comments, but <laughs> it's, so they're talking about how, um, you can, you can, as a, as a company, there's this kind of this weird project going on between the academia and some, some folks that have high corporate positions to come up with a way to allow potential candidates for, um, positions to play a game. And from the way they play the game, you would be able to kind of understand um, how they approach challenges and life and the world in general and how they will be, uh, based on the, the way they're playing, will they be able to succeed or fail? And they could use as a baseline the performance of, you know, very successful employees at the company who play the game and play it in a certain way. What's really interesting is the 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 whole point of this is not to try to understand the people playing the game's cognitive skills. 
So you're not trying to identify their IQ or anything like that. You're just trying to figure out how they approach um, problems and how they play. Here's kind of an interesting excerpt from the article. Um, Some firms seem to see the potential, the game changer unit of Shell, which seeks out new disruptive technologies for the oil giant, is about to test if NAC can help identify innovators, which is the project. Um, Bain and Company, a consultancy, is to run a pilot. It will start by getting current staff to play the games to see which skills make make for a successful consultant. The ability to charge a lot for stating the obvious is presumably not one of them, although <laughs> I would I would digress. Sometimes a good consultant just plain says that kind of stuff, and it, and people go, yes, yes, let's pay you more. But anyway, um, if I, – I mean, I would disagree. Um, if someone can <laughs> materially improve our abilities to select the best talent – that is worth a lot to us, says Mark Holworth, a recruiter at Bain. And if not, at least the process will be fun. Well, you know, I wish I was the consultant, consulting company that was brought in to do something like this because having that be kind of the expectation of the people that are hiring you, that's awesome. Well, if it doesn't work, at least the process will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Anyway, it's kind of an interesting article. Um, you can read up on it and and see if you think that that's something you will someday face. Because wouldn't that be cool if you're a gamer and you're brought in for an interview and they're like, well, before we continue you know, asking you questions about whatever your subject matter expertise is, we'd, we'd like to see how well you do at Mega Man. Yeah. I, I think it'd be pretty cool. I think it's really cool. I like, I like how the article also noted that some standard psychological tests and ways of determining if a person's going to be a good employee and a good fit or not can be gamed for lack of a better term by people who are good at taking those kinds of tests. They can provide false positives. So right. Whereas apparently this system is less likely to be manipulated, but I do kind of feel that gamers would have an unfair advantage potentially if right. you have a lot of experience playing lots of games, maybe that by default just means that you're automatically more intelligent and capable of problem solving. <laughs> I don't know. Yay us. <laughs> but, yay, yay us. Yay. Um, I, I would love to see how it works, though, and exactly what what type of performance, how how performance in these game tests are qualified. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. And just to emphasize that perhaps the source isn't quite in sync with this, I liked how the writer of the article called gaming a fashionable trend. <laughs> so in other uh-huh. words, you're gaming because you're trendy, <laughs> oh. according to this economist writer, which I thought was a little funny. Obviously, that writer, not a gamer. Right. Just just somebody reporting. Which is good. Not... It's good to have an objective source. Right. Something like this, but <laughs> a little bit of editorializing in there. Last announcement or last story within the curiosity section, also doubling back on something that we've talked about in the past and rumors have swirled about, is Apple getting into the video game console business? Is the rumored upcoming Apple TV going to be bundled with a video game console. That was one rumor. There was also a rumor that the Apple TV 
firmware was being updated to double as a console, blah, blah, blah. CEO Tim Cook has gone on the record to say that his company is, quote unquote, not interested in being in the console business. In what is thought of as traditional gaming, he added. So, in other words, he means we're not necessarily committing to building a specific console, but we're definitely aware that gaming is a major part of what people do on our devices, whether it's the iPhone or the iPod Touch. He he elaborated, I view that we are in gaming now in a fairly big way. One of the reasons people buy an iPod Touch is gaming. Some buy it for music. Gaming has kind of evolved a bit. More people play on portable devices. Where we might go in the future, we'll see. Customers love games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Customers love games. That's like, you know, nothing runs like a deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll see if his playing coy is true or not. Obviously, he's he's implying that there's going to be some kind of game strategy. It may not be a console. It'll be something else. Or it could just be a continuation of whatever they're doing right now. Listeners, let us know what you think about anything you care to comment on from our intro get the first chunk of this episode of 201, whether it's related to all the legal battles that have resolved or played out, or your thoughts on the new DC fighter. Maybe you're interested in that, or maybe you're more interested in the cyberpunk RPG or any of the other stuff that we talked about. Send your thoughts in to mail, M-A-I-L, at channelmassive.com. Up next, we're going to get into some listener feedback. This episode of Channel Massive is sponsored by UGT Servers. When you order Ventrilo hosting from UGT, you get all of the powerful administration features hardcore gamers want and the ease of use that newbie gamers need. With 24-hour tech support, 13 locations worldwide, and a 15-day money-back guarantee, you'd be crazy not to check them out. Head to UGT-Servers.com for all of your Ventrilo hosting needs. Welcome to our wonderful and exciting listener feedback section where we read poorly the mail that you have <laughs> written in uh first up phil writes in i just finished listening to the 200th episode thanks for the reply i wrote him my actual reply because i was afraid that i might have rambled a bit during my answer to his questions uh about the wheel of time series during my epic book corner <laughs> section <laughs> anyway um it sounds like a good plan which was the plan i outlined and i can't wait to get to the end next year and a great big congratulations on your Noah and the gang included 200th episode a major accomplishment maybe I'll be able to give you a wheel of time update on my progress by the 300th enjoy book 13 man Phil thanks Phil for writing in yeah um I can't wait for that last book to come out it'll it'll be really weird there's another book series that started actually before the wheel of time um I think it's the it's the um, Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, and it's going to wrap up in 2013 as well. So I think they almost come out at the same time, so I'll have to pick and choose which giant massive fantasy saga will I resolve first. 
and then you know be it's got to be real time it kind of has to just because i didn't suffer the angst with the chronicles of thomas covenant that i did with the wheel of time so i just have to kind of do that you're right <laughs> um moving on um vet on behalf of bioware wrote me and i think this is a particularly low blow since my my character my character married her in um and Swotar says, subject, Vet misses the adventure. C.O. <laughs> Markham, your companions are counting on you to continue the adventure. C.O. Markham, we've <laughs> already gone through a lot together, so don't let Vet down. Log back into the game to continue your discovery of the galaxy with Bane, or another hero, Bane being the one who married Vet. <laughs> and it says, check out these helpful resources to continue advancing your game. New player guide. Well, that's clearly not applicable. Quick start videos, not necessarily good. Forums, <laughs> shiver, <laughs> shivering in my chair. We look forward to seeing you back in the Old Republic. I thought that was pretty interesting. They also have some other stuff queued up. Like if you just start playing the game, it'll send you like a welcome to the game email and it'll have like all these things for the particular class you've chosen, like a, like a kind of a quick start guide for that particular character class and stuff. And it's kind of cool because it kind of says, hey, we're paying attention to what you're doing, even though really it's just some scripts that are running and we want to <laughs> help, you know. Likewise, when you play the game itself, the in-game email is often full of rewards and communications from non-player characters you've encountered and completed missions for or thwarted or, you know, defeated or whatever. So um, it's kind of a cool little kind of social way to, to make the game more appealing. But I just thought it was it was pretty funny and kind of desperate. And, you know, with Diablo 3 out, there's not much chance that Vet's going to get to hang out with her favorite Sith Lord in the near future. <laughs> um, finally, uh, Hilgi wrote in. He says, hey, dudes, uh, nice job to everyone who is on episode 200. Thank you very much for mentioning that you might want to have me on sometime. No hurry, though. I'm really a quiet person, not someone who should be on a podcast. <laughs> Those, he just that's like ex- disqualifies himself right off the bat. Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. We want you will just be silent and agreeable, and we will all be happy. Um, <laughs> anyway, it continues on with: uh, Have you seen the new Hitman trailer where Agent Forty Seven takes down a bunch of sexy ch- chicks dressed as nuns? Kind of cool. Later, guys. Hilgi. Uh, I have seen the video. Thanks to Noah. What What did you think um, of the se- sexy nun beatdown? It was really cool. It was like a Quentin Tarantino movie, and I I know it's a, it's quite a, it's a bit of a stretch, but I like how they're trying to tie into the Absolution subtitle with a bunch of nun assassins <laughs> dressed right. strippers after they they walk for a little while and they rip off their habits just except for the top part, except for the little hoods that keep that on and they're like wearing corsets and torn up tights and. There was actually some negative reaction to that trailer that it was sexist to some people. Why? Right. Yes, clearly. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) He basically slaughters eight chicks at once who are dressed uh, in sex gear. (laughs) Yeah. But I thought it – I haven't played a lot of the Hitman games, but I thought that trailer was a great way to tease up the game. It's pure cinematic. I don't think it's the end game engine at all, but it was really well done. Yeah, I I didn't have a problem with it. I I didn't think it was like super cool or anything, but it seemed like a almost a nod to the uh really wonderful uh movie Machete with the infamous Lindsay Lohan um oh, that's de- right. 
unseen, right? Which I forced you all to watch one night while drinking yeah. whiskey. Um, but you know, she at least wasn't. She was just dressed like a nun, not a stripper nun or whatever. Um, but it was kind of kind of cool, and it kind of told you what the tone of the game was going to be like. And I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I, I liked it. Um, I've never played any of the Hitman uh, games, but I have seen the mo- the first movie. I guess I don't know if there's another one being made or not. Yeah, I've heard that was good. Yeah, um, I was a big fan of uh, Deadwood at the time, and the guy that played uh, Agent Forty Seven, I think, was the same mm-hmm. actor. So, yep, that's right. But it was pretty cool. Um, thank you for writing in, Hilgi, and you know we still are going to hit you up to do a podcast, even if you are a quiet person. But you can always say no, and you know that's okay. You can also just cry while you're on the whole time, and that's fine. <laughs> Let us taste the tears. Um, and that's that's pretty much all we have for our feedback section. I think people are still trying to wade through episode 200, or in, or they may well be in a state of shock. So <laughs> we'll probably get more on that next week to, to, to talk about. If you would like to write in and let us know what you think about this episode or a previous one or just your thoughts in general on gaming or what, or a cool article you've seen or something that's going on, please feel free to write us at mail M A I L at channelmassive.com. And also leave us a review on iTunes. If you like, as I always say, whether you love us or hate us, your passion and your point of the, the validity of your point of view (laughs) Is only demonstrated by the number of stars you give us. So give us five (laughs) stars and we'll pay attention. (laughs) Well, I am just going to grab the bull by the horns and take the lead on this section as well. (laughs) 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 Uh, The power. Um, So this is the wondrous what we're playing section. Um, and I will start out by saying, Noah, what have you been playing? Oh, that wasn't, I actually wasn't expecting that. I thought you were going to talk about what you were playing. <laughs> you surprised me this time. <laughs> Again, I have succeeded. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I can go ahead and talk about what I've been playing. Yeah, I, I can I can tell you what I've been playing. I've just played Mass Effect 2 because I'm incredibly addicted to that game right now. I've been going through all of the loyalty missions. I've got everybody so far that I think I can add. There's still one empty slot. I'm not sure who that is. And I've gotten everybody's usability or usability. Can you tell I've been at work too long this week? I've got everybody's loyalty missions taken care of, except for two. I have Samara, the Justicar, who I already know is some other daughter thing that got a lot of talk and chatter years ago. And then also the Quarian, who is a character from the first game. And I'm really, I'm doing that one right now. And I'm really excited about it because the Quarians live in this migrant fleet, their entire society. It's, it's very Battlestar Galactica now that I think about it, but they created this robot this set of robots that were supposed to help their society and take care of things. And the robots gain sentience and just chased them off the planet. And so now 
the Geth, which are the robots that they created, have taken over their planet and a bunch of other places in space. And the Quarians, the creators of the Geth, have been relegated to just living in a small fleet of ships, struggling to keep genetic diversity within their race and keep things populated and develop and still try to advance their society while floating around in space. So you finally get to go to that flotilla of spaceships as part of the loyalty mission for this Corian character. And I'm really excited to see how it plays out. It's got a bit of a court spin to it, but overall I just freaking love that game. I've put even more hours into it than the first game. Even though I know I could have played the first game even longer. I've just was like, I've got to get to the third one. I've got to get to the third one. But this one I'm just enjoying so much. I'm, I can't rush through it. I have to get as much of it done as I can, but I'm near the end. So maybe next time or in the next couple of episodes, I'll probably be talking about how now I'm playing Mass Effect three, which is bad because I'm not playing anything else. And meanwhile, I know that everybody out there is playing Diablo three. Everybody else in the world. Yes. Including you, Mark. Uh, yeah, I've been playing Diablo three. Are you insanely passionate about it? Are you as into it as you were Diablo 2 or even the older public? Um, n- no, I, I think I'm into it, but not insanely into it. I don't, like, spend my whole day thinking, oh, God, two more hours and I can go home and play Diablo 3. <laughs> but, I, I mean, seriously, I don't. I, I, uh, I You know, I'm enjoying it, but, uh, yeah, there's definitely not a... Uh, unhealthy kind of uh, (laughs) addiction going on there or anything like that. (laughs) Well, I was just curious. I mean, not necessarily is your life falling apart because of Diablo 3. I meant more, is it what you hoped for? Do you find it as satisfying as you were hoping it would be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or is this game just like comfort food? Let's say that you love mashed potatoes and gravy and you haven't had mashed potatoes and gravy for a long time. And that hasn't killed you, but it's nice to have it again. It's like, all right, this is great. I've been craving mashed potatoes and gravy. Here it is. But it's not going to be like a definitive – is it like a definitive moment in your gaming lifetime where you're going to be talking about Diablo 3 for years to come the same way that you have Diablo 2? Probably not. No, although it's really good, but I don't think it's quite taken me uh, by storm like Diablo 2 did. So. Which in that case, it might have been just a the right game at the right time. Yeah, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of competition at the time, and Diablo 2 was just so far ahead of everything else. But since Diablo 2, you know, there's been Torchlight, and there's been, um, oh, what's the one that THQ made? Um, the Warhammer? No, no, the 40K? with the myth- mythology-based. Um, oh, that one, Demigod. No, no, sorry, I can't think of it for. I just had it on the tip of my tongue, but the uh, the um, Titan Quest. Oh yeah, duh. Gosh, that we, give me God, no, I was thinking of MOBA stuff again. Oh no, yeah, no Titan problem. Quest. You know, and that you know that was definitely really good and satisfying. It was, so right. it's kind of like, I don't know. It's just it's not so crazy, great, awesome that I'm just you know totally lost in it or anything like that. It's just fun. And, and putting it in perspective. But sometimes when I play it, I'm like, man, I could be playing something else, like League of Legends or even um, Star Wars The Old Republic or whatever. So, yeah, you know, it just hasn't totally dominated my life, that's for sure. But you are playing just that? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. I was curious if you're juggling anything because I want to be able to juggle my game time, but I think I've just I've become more of a serial gamer. And I remember Jason talking about this years ago on the show that he just started he he was having a really hard time finishing games because he was playing he would play several at once and he'd never really get anywhere in any of them. And so he just started focusing on one game at a time. And I've always known that to be the right thing to do, but never really tried it until this year. Well, at least not until I had a marathon obsession with League of Legends for many months, which kind of like represented that. But during my League of Legends time, I actually played games on other systems. But this time it's just like, uh, I just want to play Mass Effect. (laughs) Yeah. And so it shall be. And that so is it what was. I played. <laughs> I also finished Prince of Persia, but yeah, I think did I? Yeah, yeah, but that was a couple weeks ago. I, my whole gaming schedule is is thrown out of whack as of last week. But yeah, so Mass Effect Two, it's great, and maybe the objective that we would like to have, Mark and I, I haven't confirmed this with him, but I'm going to assume that he kind of agree with it most times, <laughs> is. We would like to play Diablo 3 together at least after we record the show. And I bet if you sign into Diablo 3 regularly, more so than I do, that you'll you'll run into Mark or That's I. True. And maybe especially after we record the show, if we don't record a super long show like we're doing right now. Yeah, We'd probably play afterwards. So at least check for us on Thursday nights. And Mark is probably on more often than I am. So look for him even more so. (laughs) Can't let this general geekery section go, Mark, because I like it. (laughs) So we have it here again. I hope you don't mind. Oh, no, I don't mind. I like it. I do like it. (laughs) Feel free to jump in with any of your latest book corner (laughs) updates. I have my book corner which continues to be Ready Player One, which I'm sure for a lot of you out there, probably Mark included, it's like, oh my gosh, why does he take so long to read books? <laughs> no, Because no. Ready Player One is not a long book. The, the longest book that I read most recently was The Passage, which was 800 some odd pages. And that took me a couple months, I think, to finish. The reason being is that I only read books right before I go to bed. So I'm really exhausted, but it's my way to unwind and just let my subconscious and conscious mind detach from anything computer and video game related by looking at a paper book and reading something. And so I only read about five to 20 pages a night if I do read at all. So right. Ready Player One, I'm now at page 80, 90 something. I don't know. And it's I finally like it. <laughs> Yay! Hey, maybe it only took 50 pages, which at my speed is a lot. It's a lot of time to invest in a book, but I feel like it's starting to turn out a lot like Lev Grossman's The Magicians was for me, which that's another, that's a two book set now so far that's kind of like a, an adult take on Harry Potter, where it's a, a magician school, except it's actually college level. And it compresses five years of college education into a single book that's actually thinner than most of the Harry Potter books. And then it also has this whole uh, Narnia-inspired chunk to it. So it's kind of like Harry Potter and Narnia for for adults mixed together into a, a really cool concoction. And I feel once I got used to 
the narrator's voice in Ready Player One that Ready Player One's a lot like the magicians for me in that I still don't really like the narrator. I think he's obnoxious. But the world of the book and the other characters is really cool. Oh, right. Yeah. And that's what's really keeping me going. And I and I really like the whole contest aspect of it. I think that's what really got me through the Hunger Games, the first book, is that it's this, it's this whole game contest thing that's going on. And you want to know. It's such a clear story motivator. You want to see how it all turns out. And this whole search for things, which is also like what the Xanth books are. That's another series that I really like. There's always a search for something in the Xanth books. Ready Player One is also a search for things. And, and it's just so cool. Once the narrator's obnoxious personality gets put more to the side and it's more about tons of 80s references and cool game mechanics and figuring out mysteries and solving riddles like oh this is cool so i definitely am liking it a lot more and i'm looking forward to getting through the rest of it cool we'll see if i actually can finish it before the author dudes here though i don't know if that's going to be possible i'll have to put in some extra time for that to happen. <laughs> well i think one thing is like once you start to you know kind of get into it, it it does make you want to just sit down and read it a lot more so i don't know it happens to me with books so yeah i definitely stayed up later last night than i planned on because it's like i need to go to bed but i'm gonna keep reading until i physically can't read anymore (laughs) so yeah i know what you mean it does it does have that addictive quality to it it's when i start to let the book drop and fall over that's like oh whoa, whoa can't lose my place. Uh, Time to go to sleep. I, and I'm spent. Yeah, I know what that. I know what you mean there. Yeah. So another geekery stuff. Prometheus is finally coming out soon. Oh man, that looks really cool. I'm really excited about it. I I hope that we all get to see it, and I'm interested to hear what anybody else out there thinks about it if they're looking forward to it. The initial reviews are pretty mixed, which is kind of hmm. disappointing. They're a lot of them are positive, but they're only positive from the aspect that. Well, it looks really cool, but it's not that scary, and it's a little overwrought. It's not as simplistic and as propulsive as Aliens and Alien was, but oh well, it's okay. Yeah, it'll do. (laughs) What else do we have to watch? Yeah. I've also been watching Doctor Who, the the new series, and I've, I've, I've gotten to through, geez, I think I'm on fourth or fifth season of the new Doctor Who. Is that like a BBC thing or an American? Yeah. Yeah, I have a friend of mine at work who is really awesome in that she owns all the DVD box sets for all the Doctor Who seasons. Wow. And she's been having me go through. When I first told her that I hadn't watched it, she's like, you have to watch it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like that. It's British. (laughs) And (laughs) the 80s was pretty lame, and I never really wanted to watch it. But it's really good. cool. And uh, I'm now into the third Doctor's uh, storyline, and it's it's the second season of him. And he's not nearly as awesome as David Tennant was, but... I just watched a really great episode tonight and it's, it's a mid season episode, which kind of surprised me. I'm like, this is stuff that should happen in a finale. So oh, definitely wow. a really cool series. When you, if you start out the, the first doctor that they did for the reboot really sucks. He's just not great. And specs, but they get rid of him after the first year, which is great because the doctor after that is really cool and his companions are really good and they introduce a lot of cool new aliens and the special effects get a lot better and the writing gets better and it's just overall really addictive i'm curious if there's anybody else out there who are fans of the many bbc sci-fi series there are there's a lot of them because and i know about them because they're all previewed on the doctor who dvds but i haven't dared look at anything else I'm interested to see if anybody else has recommendations out there or if they are 
Doctor Who TARDIS fans and all this stuff, and they have a favorite Doctor? Yeah, that's kind of a good question. Last but not least, Dungeons & Dragons is my final general geekery topic. After many months, I'm finally going to get to get back into a campaign that I started that I, I shared a story about when I role-played as a thief, the girl that didn't show up. Oh, that was so funny, yeah. <laughs> She's not able to show up again for like the rest of the summer, but we're going to be able to have sessions again. So I oh, want to role-play role as her, but we had another person, another girl coworker, another woman coworker say, what are you guys doing? I never get invited to these things. It's like, well, it's probably because you wouldn't be interested. She's like, no, I wanted to come to your land party that you had a few months ago. Wow. Um, Really? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I just, I just wanted to read, read a book while you were there. I just wanted to be there, but I didn't want to participate. I'm like, yeah, that's why you weren't invited. (laughs) That's, there's, there's maybe your problem. (laughs) But as it turns out, she really wants to give this Dungeons and Dragons thing a chance, even though we're not quite sure if she's going to like it that much. And since she's going to be joining us, uh, she gets to role play the character for the other girl who's who's missing. So oh, this cool. has got to be one of the coolest D and D groups ever because we have four women playing. There's as oh, many as there are guys, which I think is a bit unusual from my from what I remember. Not that there's I know that there are lots of really awesome uh, female role players out there, but in the groups that I've known and that I've had a chance to to be a part of the girls are usually like there's only one if that so it's pretty cool to have all these female role players joining in the cause and none of them have ever played Dungeons and Dragons before so they have a very unique take on things but, oh yeah uh, we'll see if we have some crazy stories here in a few weeks from that and then also Daenerys's husband got an invite or he got the, a kit for the beta version of the new rule set for Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. I'm not sure if that's what they're going to call it, but we talked previously on, on a previous episode that the wizards of the coast folks want to make the new edition of Dungeons and Dragons much more crowd driven and get a lot of input from the player base so that it's something that everybody's really happy with. Cause there was a lot of division about the fourth edition. It's too much like an MMO. It's too simplified. It's too dumbed down. I'm going to play third edition or I'm still going to play advanced. <laughs> you know, it's really split the, player base, which as we've talked about with MMOs many times, it's a bad idea. Yeah. Sequels, because you split the player base. That's yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Of course, Dungeons and Dragons has been around for what, like 30 years or more? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's understandable. But da- Daenerys' husband has a kit, and hopefully we're going to get a group of people together to, it's just like a single little adventure with some pre-built characters that we can get through in a single session, and hopefully we'll be able to share some impressions of that on a future show. So stuff to look forward to in the general geekery section. Mark, do you have any books or other comments for general geekery that you want to throw out there? Um, no, you know, I, uh, um, I'm still reading that 12th book for the wheel of time. Is it still just hours of midnight? It's great. This guy is a really, this Brandon Sanderson guy is a really good writer. So I'll probably read some of his stuff after I tie, you know, finish up the, this part of the series and kind of have to wait for something else. Um, but it is really good. Yeah. It's, it's just so cool to see him add so much energy to, you know, this kind of like failing or flagging kind of, um, 
it was like it's just this massive book series that started out so well and had so much potential and then just slowed down to a glacial pace and to see this guy like just pick up the mantle because the writer died and and be able to you know not just not just he's not just getting it you know keeping it going or you know kicking a dead horse or whatever but he's really reinvigorated it and added so much stuff to it and there's a lot of things that i can tell now are his ideas that are being added in and the way he's handling some of the the main characters that were introduced in the first book um you know it's it's just awesome so i'm I'm really happy with the way it's turning out and i i can't wait to like i say finish the series in 2013 so I finished that, and or I'm almost finished with that, and I just finished um, the uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson book. Um, oh man, I can't think of the name of it. Chronicles. It's all about uh, um, how we're. It's kind of about what we need to do to become relevant as a nation again <laughs> when it comes to science and stuff and technology. Well, that sounds cool. He talks about NASA and uh, and just kind of how, you know, saying that, um, you know, it's good enough to um, get some more moon missions going is kind of not good or it's, it's good enough to um, continually have NASA send missions to, um, you know, low Earth orbit. He's saying, no, that's not good enough. We used to be a leader and we haven't done anything. We haven't done anything that's not scratched the surface of what we can do in space since 1974. Yeah. And, and he's right. And he, the guy obviously sits and thinks a lot before he says things. And by that, I mean, it's just his, his arguments are really, they're impeccable and they, it is it's very clear that there's a lot of deep thought that goes into it and because he puts it all he puts all these thoughts together into you know these arguments into a book format then when he goes on all the different talk shows to you know argue or debate with someone he seems just you know he's he's like seems undefeatable because he has such a clear thoughts along these lines um, because of, you know, all the efforts he's put into the book and everything. But he uses humor and he uses, um, you know, a lot of interesting literary devices to kind of bring his point of view to, to the, you know, to the, the, the readers. But yeah, I just, so I just finished Space, it's called Space Chronicles Facing the Ultimate Frontier. And it's basically just a cry for America to get off our asses and do something in space and not become you know, a third world country and not let all the other countries in the world take over. And, uh, it's, it's kind of eye opening and kind of scary in a way when you, when you think about it, um, that, yeah, you know, we haven't really done anything really revolutionary in space since the seventies. You could say the shuttle is really cool and it was cool, but all it did was go into low earth orbit. It didn't really do anything else. Never went to the moon, never went anywhere. So great book. I don't know. Does that, does that sound kind of weird or, I mean, what do you, what do you No, I, I think it's cool. And what it, it actually reminded me of something that I wanted to bring up on here. And it's perfect for the general geekery section is there's this engineer who works at a fortune 500 company and he's trying to, build enthusiasm around the concept of building a real world starship enterprise 
within 20 years. Wow, that's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, he says he's got a whole website called buildtheenterprise.org that goes over all of the details about it. How big is it going to be? How is it going to run? How much is it going to cost? And what's interesting about the cost is that it would take no more than $1 trillion spent over 20 years. To do it, huh? And apparently we spent way more than that on some bailouts recently in America. <laughs> America. So just like kind of thinking, you know, well, would I have rather that money save the economy or put it towards a pipe dream Star Trek Enterprise? And I kind of lean towards the latter. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's hugely irresponsible, but you know, it, when you think about it from that perspective, if you had to choose, it probably you well, you want to probably choose the economy. But the idea that the amount of money put into that just spent just like that over the period of a couple of years, being spaced out over twenty years to build a Star Trek starship, would be pretty damn cool. So yeah, it's. If you're into this kind of concept, definitely go and check out buildenterprise.org. It's a definite time sink. There's so many cool things to check out, and it just gets you all excited. Like, yes, why can't we make this happen? I'm looking at it now, and it's pretty hilarious. Because my, my first question is, what do you do for power? I mean, when you have a you know, total made-up fuel source, which is, which is like dilithium crystals that have all this you know, power to energy to mass ratio or whatever, you know, it's like, okay. Well, on his on his homepage, it says, the Generation 1 Enterprise will be powered by three ion propulsion engines. These will provide constant acceleration, and versions of this technology are already used in spacecrafts. These engines are powered by electricity, and thus using nuclear reactors to generate this electricity is a natural fit. So it's nuclear-powered, of course. Well, yeah, I guess it'd have to be. <laughs> But well, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to you, look at we'll this. Have to check it out. We, we might have to have some follow-up discussion on this. <laughs> yeah, how do you get all that into orbit, man? That's that it would have to be built in space. Yeah, that's the biggest problem. And and, and that Space Chronicles book by Neil deGrasse Tyson he talks a lot about how once you have everything in orbit or you know in zero gravity off the planet, it's a whole lot easier to do stuff. But most of a rocket's, um, well, most of a traditional rocket ship's mass and weight and everything just has the fuel to push the fuel that it has into space. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, and then it's done. That's all. Yeah, but then it's expended all. That's why the multi-stage rocket was like such a good thing. But cool. Well, that's pretty good for general geekery. I think. Thanks for thanks for adding all that good stuff, man. Yeah, sure thing. For our roundtable uh, discussion area of the podcast, we, we had two possible topics, but because we're a little bit over time, and by that I mean we only you know designated 10 minutes for the podcast, um, we, were, we will cover this interesting topic that was brought up uh, in a, New York, a recent New York Times article. New York, God, I can't talk. In a New York Times article. And it's uh, wasting time is new divide in digital era. And what it appears to talk about uh, is that the children of poorer families are, can, are spending considerably more time 
than children from more well-off families using their television gadgets to watch shows and videos, play games, and connect on social networking sites, studies show. And this is a bad thing, they are saying. <laughs> saying so that's kind of my core. That's kind of the, the introductory sentence for this and also my core uh, complaint about it is, is that really bad? Or does, you know, they're saying it, 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 it's causing more of a, a divide, a digital divide, quote unquote, trademark pending. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that that's necessarily bad. I think when you look at, when you look at like, you know, the, the top 1% kids or, you know, very well-to-do, you know, upper, uh, upper class children versus um, children who are, you know, coming out of a family that makes combined $20,000 or less in the United States which, you know, is different in other countries, obviously. But when you think about that and all the advantages that the kids that are the upper class kids have, is it really that bad for the poorer families to be spending an inordinate amount of their income on digital devices like PCs, um, games, uh, you know, uh, phones? Like they're saying most of these kids have their own smartphone is that really bad that they're spending more time with these technological devices? Because don't you don't you learn skills even mm -hmm. if you're just trying if you're just quote unquote fucking around? I think you do. I I really think you do. I know when I was a kid, I was a latchkey kid. I was an only child. My parents were really very much consumed with their um, business that they were trying to to run, and so. I didn't have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with my uh, parents, and this is not where I break down into a sobbing, crying thing. <laughs> I, I really liked that. I liked the balance of time that I had with my parents versus the amount of time I had just on my own, you know, doing whatever I could do. Now, obviously, I grew up, you know, I'm I'm about <laughs> I'm an older guy. I'm about seventy-four. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I I grew up in the 70s and 80s, right? I mean, so I didn't have – my technology is not nearly what the kids today have. I didn't have the quote-unquote internet. I didn't have your inner tubes moving packets around with <laughs> dump trucks. But I still had access to, um, you know – you know, early, early, early handheld games like Coleco's and I had uh, an Atari 2600 and eventually and I got into um, computers really, really early and I ended up with a career in IT. And I <laughs> and you're still using and, I'm, cards to and, I'm, and I still believe that Fortran <laughs> is the way of the future as is <laughs> COBOL object oriented COBOL would be really cool. But no, just kidding. But no, I, gave, I think that my um, my at the time, all I wanted to do was play video games. But in order to do it on computers and stuff, I had to learn how to, you know, I had to learn computers as a byproduct of my obsession with video gaming. And I, you know, I wanted to know how to program video games of my own. And I was into, you know, all the different kinds of entertainment you could get. And I watched an enormous amount of TV. And I'm not saying I'm a success story or anything, but it was really easy for me to put together quite a few skills that I didn't learn, um, you know, in college. By the time yeah. I started working on my, you know, computer science classes in college, I already knew it was already there for me. It was just, it was just, you know, doing everything I had to do to get the diploma. But I certainly did not learn anything about 
computers doing my degree, you know, maybe a few little things, but almost everything I learned in college was more about business or more about math or more about, you know, whatever my electives were. But, you know, I, I just don't see this as a, as I don't see this as creating a, a worse divide for these children. I think of it as like, Hey, these families are spending an enormous amount of money on technology. How is that really bad? I, Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just not getting the point. Um, you know, the article talks more about saying, you know, in in defense, I'm not anti-technology at home, but it's not a savior. Well, I don't think they're looking at it as a savior. But even if they're looking at it as cheap escapism, they're still immersing themselves in in technology, and they're not doing things like playing, you know, run around, you no, know, kick the cat or. You know, how do I, how do I, (laughs) and other such games that poor people play, you know, throw Timmy off the, (laughs) what can I sniff in an hour? (laughs) How much does, does the girl next door charge? I I don't think it's, I, I don't think this is really that bad of a thing. I think, you know, obviously politicians are jumping on it, but it's mostly to push forward programs that they want. The FCC has a mandate where they really believe that every house should have um, affordable access to computing devices. They want every American to have that, and they see it as a gap. They also say that, you know, they have some other facts like half of all Hispanics and 41% of African-American homes lack, lack broadband, and they want to remedy that. So they want, I think they want to set a level playing field for people. I don't think that this is some kind of a, a a methodology for, you know, segregating people. And I don't think that the investment is one that won't be, I don't, I don't, I don't think that by spending this money on, you know, investing in technology for the home, that it's purely going to be used for game playing or consuming Netflix streaming. That'll be a big part of it. But I think you'll, that you're also going to get a generation that's a lot more savvy, technologically savvy just as a byproduct of working with technology day to day. I don't know. What mm-hmm. are your thoughts? Am I totally out on a limb here? I, I just, I just like, I read this article and I could not. I could, yeah. I had to dig through it quite a bit to understand why, what is What is the core issue that people are freaking out about? And apparently in the nineties, there were just so few, there was a much bigger gap. And like you were seeing earlier in terms of poorer families didn't have the same kind of technology in their homes that wealthier families did. And so there was a belief that if they had the access that you were talking about, that there'd be a level playing field and the lower income classes would somehow miraculously propel themselves to upper class status by having access to technology, which is a little bit fairy tale in my opinion, <laughs> to assume that just having access to technology is instantly going to make you successful and, and wealthy and everything. It doesn't necessarily do that. It is a way that you can enrich yourself and give yourself skills that will allow you to have other types of jobs, but it's not a magic spell either. Um, but the quote that I think that really sums it up in this story comes from Vicky Rideout, as in like you're going to ride out with a cop somewhere. (laughs) She's the author of a decade-long Kaiser study. 
she said, despite the educational potential of computers, the reality is that their use for education or meaningful content creation is minuscule to their use for pure entertainment. Instead of closing the achievement gap, they're widening the time-wasting gap. And and so I guess my question is, well, what – if people aren't wasting, quote-unquote, wasting their time with their computer, won't they be wasting their time doing something else? Yeah, exactly. And I would think it totally makes sense in my mind that people who don't have a lot of opportunities – or a lot of cool ways to, to for recreation, as apparently in this story, rich people do. Yeah, they're going to use the most accessible and, and entertaining forms of escape possible, and technology is providing that for them. And I don't see there's any. I don't. I really don't see a big problem here because I would rather, first of all, people spending their time to get entertained with technology. It's less dangerous and it could potentially be productive and just tangentially or transiently. I can't think of what the word is. Transitively something with a T. <laughs> um, I like transitively. <laughs> all of these malapropisms everywhere. Uh, but they're gaining skills that they're going to need that are going to be really applicable in all sorts of types of jobs. Just being able to work with interface, working at internet companies, Mark, as Mark and I have done there, we've often, and especially in the early years of our careers, had to take into account, well, yeah, there's people like us who grew up and were exposed to computers at a much younger age, and then there's the older folks who are totally scared of just email, or they don't know all the things their computer can do, that much more people at a much younger age are getting used to doing all sorts of IT-related multitasking and using all sorts of different types of interfaces, and becoming really good at picking things up that are technological quicker, that's a, a win-win situation, whether it's via entertainment or not. I mean, that's why there's educational games, for Pete's sake. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it's really funny. And then they, they cite, like, a, a kid who, who's, who had a tan, has a tantrum whenever he's not allowed to get on Facebook. He's, he calls himself, he's a self-proclaimed Facebook freak. And... He's 13 years old, and when he isn't allowed to do it, like I guess his mom tried to have him do his homework first, he threw a major tantrum. Well, is this any different than the kid who throws the tantrum because he can't have his, um, you know, favorite doll or action figure or something, or the kid who throws a tantrum because he can't shoot hoops in his backyard? I mean, is there really anything different yeah, and it's like parents who seek to blame somebody else for that are really just crappy parents. Yeah. Like, Hello, this is part of parenting, setting boundaries and enforcing them. Yeah, it's the same thing. You just go, hey, um, now you're not going to get dinner and you're going to go to bed and you're not going to cry and you're not going to throw a fit and that's that. And you know what? They'll be they'll be a little more reluctant to throw a Facebook tantrum next time. <laughs> I don't know. It seems really cut and dry to me. And maybe I'm just missing the point, but well, not the idea that the government would want to really get invested in legislating this somehow or trying to solve this apparent issue is really annoying. It is. 
It's like these damn minorities. They don't know what how to spend their own money, and we'd rather them not spend their money. We don't want them to spend their money on on technology. We want them to spend their money on something else, but we don't know what. But God damn it, we did, we just they're just not doing it right. And I don't know why I affected a like a southern accent there. A George all. Bush accent. Yeah, it was really not intentional. But it's just like, you know, who are you to say what people that, you know, are making less money per capita than you are should do with their money or what proportion they should spend it on? I think they're definitely taking care of their essential needs like food and (laughs) lodging. Yeah, it gets into the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, I think that they have decided that they need the technology. And if it's for entertainment, it's for entertainment. But you know, your $150 bottle of red wine, some might look at that and say, hey, that's a bit of a waste of money, too. So, not you, Noah, but, you know, you, people who <laughs> look down on people. You people. You people who think you need to control the spending of other people because you don't think that it's going, you know, the right place. So, yeah, I found I found it to be really insulting. And um, normally I would read the comments, but this time around I just didn't have the time, but I'm sure they're pretty interesting equally enraged yeah listeners tell us what you think do you think that this is a serious crisis or if it's actually something that's good and the bureaucrats are a little caught up in something that they shouldn't be worrying as much about let us know at mail m-a-i-l at channelmassive.com and that is the end of episode 201 just like that yeah it was startlingly fast. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I think we put together a good show. I hope that the listeners agree, and I really look forward to seeing or hearing or reading what they have to say. And if there are any other topics that you want us to talk about, if you have questions of Game of Thrones or Prometheus or any other stuff that's going on in general geek land, D and D, or of course MMO, video game related stuff, all those things we talked about. Let us know what you think. Really look forward to hearing from you, senior iTunes reviews. And other than that, we will be back. 